The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Chapter 3 Three is Company Part 2 The next morning they were busy packing another cart with the remainder of the luggage. Mary took charge of this and drove off with Fatty, that is, Fettiger Bolger. Someone must be there and warm the house before you arrive, said Mary. Well, see you later, the day after tomorrow if you don't go to sleep on the way. Bolger went home after lunch, but Pippin remained behind. Frodo was restless and anxious, listening in vain for a sound of Gandalf. He decided to wait until nightfall. After that, if Gandalf wanted him urgently, he would go to Cricket Hollow, and might even get there first. For Frodo was going on foot, his plan, for pleasure and the last look at the Shire as much as any other reason, was to walk from Hobbiton to Bucklebury Ferry, taking it fairly easy. I shall get myself a bit into training too, he said, looking at himself in a dusty mirror in the half-empty hall. He had not done any strenuous walking for a long time, and the reflection looked rather flabby, he thought. After lunch, the Saxville Bagginses, Lobelia and her sandy-haired son, Lotho, turned up, much to Frodo's annoyance. "'All's at last,' said Lobelia, as she stepped inside. It was not polite, nor strictly true, for the sale of Baggin did not take effect until midnight. But Lobelia can perhaps be forgiven. She had long obliged to wait, about seventy-seven years longer for Bag Inn than she once hoped, and was now a hundred years old. Anyway, she had come to see that nothing she had paid for had been carried off, and she wanted the keys. It took a long while to satisfy her, as she had brought a complete inventory with her and went right through it. In the end, she departed with Lotho and the spare key, and the promise that the other key would be left at the Gamgees in Bagshot Row. She snorted and showed plainly that she thought the Gamgees capable of plundering the hole during the night. Frodo did not offer her any tea. He took his own tea with Pippin and Sam Gamgee in the kitchen. It had been officially announced that Sam was coming to Buckland to do for Mr. Frodo and look after his bit of garden. An arrangement that was approved by the gaffer, though it did not console him for the prospect of having Lobelia as a neighbor. Our last meal at Bag Inn, said Frodo, pushing back his chair. They left the washing up for Lobelia. Pippin and Sam strapped up their three packs and piled them in the porch. Pippin went out for a last stroll in the garden. Sam disappeared. The sun went down. Baggin seemed sad and gloomy and disheveled. Frodo wandered round the familiar rooms and saw the light of the sunset fade on the walls, and shadows creep out of the corners. It grew slowly dark indoors. He went out and walked down to the gate at the bottom of the path, and then on a short way down the hill road. He half expected to see Gandalf come striding up through the dusk. The sky was clear and the stars were growing bright. It's going to be a fine night, he said aloud. That's good for a beginning. I feel like walking. I can't bear any more hanging about. I'm going to start, and Gandalf must follow me. He turned to go back, and then stopped, 
distinctly heard voices just round the corner by the end of Bagshot Row. One voice was certainly the old gaffer's. The other was strange and somehow unpleasant. He could not make out what it said, but he heard the gaffer's answers, which was rather shrill. The old man seemed put out. No, Mr. Boggins has gone away. Went this morning, and my son Sam went with him. Anyway, all his stuff went. Yes, sold out and gone, I tell ye. Why? Why's none of my business or yours? Where to? That ain't no secret. He's moved to Buckleberry or some such place. Away down yonder. Yes, it is. A tidy way. I've never been so far myself. They're queer folks in Buckland. No, I can't give no message. Good night to you. Footsteps went away down the hill. Rhoda wondered vaguely why the fact that they did not come up the hill seemed a great relief. I am sick of questions and curiosity about my doings, I suppose, he thought. What an inquisitive lot they all are. He had half a mind to go and ask the gaffer who the inquirer was. But he thought better, or worse of it, and turned and walked quickly back to Bag Inn. Pippin was sitting on his pack in the porch. Sam was not there. Frodo stepped inside the dark door. Sam, he called. Sam, time! Coming, sir, came the answer from far within, followed soon by Sam himself, wiping his mouth. He had been saying farewell to the beer barrel in the cellar. All aboard, Sam, said Frodo. Yes, sir. I'll last for a bit now, sir. Frodo shut and locked the round door and gave the key to Sam. Run down with this to your home, Sam, he said. Then cut along the row and meet us as quick as you can at the gate in the lane beyond the meadows. We are not going through the village tonight. Too many ears pricking and eyes prying. Sam ran off at full speed. Well, now we're off at last, said Frodo. They shouldered their packs and took up their sticks and walked round the corner to the west side of Bag Inn. Goodbye, said Frodo, looking at the dark, blank windows. He waved his hand and then turned and, following Bilbo if he had known it, hurried after Peregrine down the garden path. They jumped over the low place in the hedge at the bottom and took to the fields, passing into the darkness like a rustle in the grasses. At the bottom of the hill, on its western side, they came to the gate opening onto a narrow lane. There they halted and adjusted the straps of their packs. Presently, Sam appeared, trotting quickly and breathing hard. His heavy pack was hoisted high on his shoulders, and he put on his head a tall, shapeless felt bag, which he called a hat. In the gloom, he looked very much like a dwarf. I am sure you have given me all the heaviest stuff, said Frodo. I pity snails and all that carry their homes on their backs. I could take a lot more yet, sir. My pack is quite light, said Sam stoutly and untruthfully. No, you don't, Sam, said Pippin. It is good for him. He's got nothing except what he ordered us to pack. He's been slack lately, and he'll feel the weight less when he walks off some of his own. Be kind to a poor old hobbit, laughed Frodo. I shall be as thin as a willow wand, I'm sure, before I get to Buckland. But I was talking nonsense, 
I suspect you have taken more than your share, Sam, and I shall look into it at our next packing. He picked up his stick again. Well, we all like walking in the dark, he said, so let's put some miles behind us before bed. For a short way, they followed the lane westwards. Then, leaving it, they turned left and took quietly to the fields again. They went in single file along hedge groves and borders of coppices, and night fell dark about them. In their dark cloaks, they were as invisible as if they all had magic rings. Since they were all hobbits and were trying to be silent, they made no noise that even hobbits would hear. Even the wild things in the fields and woods hardly noticed their passing. After some time, they crossed the water, west of Hobbiton, by a narrow plank bridge. The stream was there no more than a winding black ribbon, bordered with leaning alder trees. A mile or two further south, they hastily crossed the great road from the Brandywine Bridge. They were now in the Tukland, and bending southeastwards, they made for the Green Hill country. As they began to climb its first slopes, they looked back and saw the lamps in the Hobbiton far off twinkling in the gentle valley of the water. Soon it disappeared in the folds of the darkened land, and was followed by bywater beside its grey pool. When the light of the last farm was far behind, peeping among the trees, Frodo turned and waved a hand in farewell. "'I wonder if I shall ever look down into that valley again,' he said quietly. When they had walked for about three hours, they rested. The night was clear, cool, and starry, but smoke-like wisps of mist were creeping up the hillsides from the streams and deep meadows. Thin-clad birches, swaying in a light wind above their heads, made a black net against the pale sky. They ate a very frugal supper, for hobbits, and then went on again. Soon, they struck a narrow road that went rolling up and down, fading gray into the darkness ahead. The road to Woodhall, and Stock, and the Buckleberry Ferry. It climbed away from the main road in the water valley and wound over the skirts of the green hills towards Woody End, a wild corner of the east farthing. After a while, they plunged into a deeply cloven track between tall trees that rustled their dry leaves in the night. It was very dark. At first they talked, or hummed a tune softly together, being now far away from inquisitive ears. Then they marched on in silence, and Pippin began to lag behind. At last, as they began to climb a steep slope, he stopped and yawned. I am so sleepy, he said, that soon I shall fall down on the road. Are you going to sleep on your legs? It is nearly midnight. I thought you liked walking in the dark, said Frodo, but there is no great hurry. Mary expects us some time the day after tomorrow, but that leaves us nearly two days more. We'll halt at the first likely spot. The wind's in the west, said Sam. If we get to the other side of this hill, we shall find a spot that's sheltered and snug enough, sir. There is a dry firwood just ahead, if I remember rightly. Sam knew the land well within twenty miles of Hobbiton, but that was the limit of his geography. Just over the top of the hill they came to the patch of firwood. Leaving the road, they went into the deep, resin-scented darkness of the trees and gathered dead sticks and cones to make a fire. 
Soon, they had a merry crackle of flames at the foot of a large fir tree, and they sat round it for a while until they began to nod. Then, each in an angle of the great tree's roots, they curled up in their cloaks and blankets and were soon fast asleep. They set no watch. Even Frodo feared no danger yet, for they were still in the heart of the Shire. A few creatures came and looked at them when the fire had died away. A fox passing through the woods on business of his own stopped several minutes and sniffed. Hobbits, he thought. Well, what next? I have heard of strange doings in this land, but I have seldom heard of a hobbit sleeping out of doors under a tree. Three of them. There's something mighty queer behind this. He was quite right, but he never found out any more about it. The morning came, pale and clammy. Frodo woke up first and found that a tree root had made a hole in his back, and that his neck was stiff. Hawking for pleasure. Why didn't I thrive? he thought, as he usually did at the beginning of an expedition. And all my beautiful feather beds were sold to the Saxfield Bagginses. These tree roots would do them good, he stretched. Wake up, hobbits, he cried. It's a beautiful morning. What's beautiful about it? said Pippin, peering over the edge of his blanket with one eye. Sam, get breakfast ready for fa- half past nine. Sam, get breakfast ready for half past nine. Have you got the bath washer hot? Sam jumped up, looking rather bleary. No, sir, I haven't, sir, he said. Frodo stripped the blankets from Pippin and rolled them over and then walked off to the edge of the wood. Away westward, the sun was rising red out of the mists that lay thick on the world. Touched with gold and red, the autumn trees seemed to be sailing rootless in a shadowy sea. A little below him to the left, the road ran down steeply into a hollow and disappeared. When he returned, Sam and Pippin had got a good fire going. Water! shouted Pippin. Where's the water? I don't keep water in my pockets, said Frodo. We thought you'd going to find some, said Pippin, busy setting out the food and cups. You'd better go now. You can come too, said Frodo, and bring all the water bottles. There was a stream at the foot of the hill. They filled their bottles in the small camping kettle at a little fall, where the water fell a few feet over an outcrop of gray stones. It was icy cold and they spluttered and puffed as they bathed their faces and hands. When their breakfast was over and their packs all trussed up again, it was after ten o'clock, and the day was beginning to turn fine and hot. They went down the slope and across the stream where it dived under the road, and up the next slope and up and down in another shoulder of the hills. And by that time their cloaks, blankets, water, food, and other gear already seemed a heavy burden. The day's march promised to be warm and tiring work. After some miles, however, the road ceased to roll up and down. It climbed to the top of a steep bank in a weary, zigzagging sort of way, and then prepared to go down for the last time. In front of them, they saw the lower lands dotted with small clumps of trees that melted away in the distance to a brown woodland haze. They were looking across to the woody end towards the Brandywine River. The road wound away before them like a piece of string. 
road goes on forever, said Pippin, but I can't without rest. It's a high time for lunch. He sat down on the bank at the side of the road and looked away east into the haze, beyond which lay the river and the end of the shire in which he had spent all his life. Sam stood by him. His round eyes were wide open, for he was looking across lands he had never seen to a new horizon. Do elves live in those woods? he asked. Not that I ever heard, said Pippin. Frodo was silent. He too was gazing eastward along the road, as if he had never seen it before. Suddenly he spoke, aloud but as if to himself, saying slowly, The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with weary feet until it joins some larger way, where many paths and errands meet, and whither then I cannot say. That sounds like a bit of old Bilbo's rhyming, said Pippin. Or it, is it one of your imitations? It does not sound altogether encouraging. I don't know, said Frodo. It came to me then, as if I was making it up. But I may have heard it long ago. Certainly it reminds me very much of Bilbo in the last years, before he went away. He used often to say there was only one road, that it was like a great river. Its springs were at every doorstop, and every path was its tributary. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out of your door, he used to say. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might be swept off to. Do you realize that this is the very path that goes through Mirkwood, and that if you let it, it might take you to the lonely mountain, or even further, and to worse places. He used to say that on the path outside the front door at Bag End, especially after he had been out for a long walk. Well, the road won't sweep me anywhere for an hour at least, said Pippin, unslinging his pack. The others followed his example, putting their packs against the bank and their legs out into the road. After a rest, they had a good lunch, and then more rest.